Welcome to this week's sermon from Amoka Christian Centre. Thanks, Rich. If you've got your Bibles, um, or Bible on your phone, then turn to Isaiah 40. That's where we're going to be in today. And it's such, it's such a privilege to stand and teach the Word of God. I don't take that sort of for granted. And I hope you feel privileged to come and sit under the teaching of the Word of God. I remember someone talking about um, going to church and how even when it was sort of like just pure tradition, you know, when sort of the life of God had sort of seeped out, that at the very least it gave people a moment in their week where they would think about the big things, the important things of life about eternity and about faith and about truth and about generosity. And I think in a world that is going from faster and faster and faster, moment to moment to moment, what a privilege to just get together and dwell and think. Um, And that's without the Spirit being here, which we definitely believe He is and all of that. So yeah, I just want to say, I hope you feel like this this is a sacred moment. This is a precious moment, something that we shouldn't take Uh, for granted at all. Uh, But I wasn't going to say that. What I was going to say is that um, this morning is the start of our Isaiah series and I had planned to do a kind of bit of a broad stroke introduction to the book. Uh, But given the events of the last few days, I felt that that should slightly change a little bit. Uh, But interestingly, we're going to stay in the same passage uh, that we planned to speak on um, many, many months ago, uh, which is uh, Isaiah 40. Uh, And I think that's something of the providence of God. God uh, speaks in these ways and uh, takes our sort of feeble attempts at organisation and weaves them into his plan, which is really exciting. I think it's true, as Liz said at the start, that we live in some uncertain times and maybe some challenging times as well. I heard someone say the other day uh, that we've had six, no, let me get this right, four prime ministers in just over six years. That in itself is unsettling, isn't it? That brings a sense of uncertainty into our world. Uh, We have a new monarch, as we've just said. Uh, We've lived through the first global pandemic and all of the challenges that that uh, brought with it. We live at a time of international war, um, particularly one that is knocking on the door of countries that we feel connected to um, and constantly sort of threatens this idea of global war. Um, of course, we also remember today, don't we, the terrible events of 9-11, um, that, you know, just uh, 21 years ago, and um, that has shaped our world in a certain way. Uh, and that's not to mention sort of the challenges of the mental health crisis that we have on our hands, the cost of living crisis uh, that is here, and obviously the individual challenges that we face. And as a community as well, we, uh, in a few days, remember um, a sad loss of Ed, our dear brother, Um, who died just over a year ago. So it's an uncertain and challenging time. Have I proved that to you? Do you agree? Now, of course, I'm not saying that our generation necessarily has it worse than any other generation. Every generation has their challenges, has their difficulties, has their uptimes and their downtimes. But I think it's fair to say that for many of us, the last sort of four, five, six years, has maybe been some of the hardest years that we've had to face, certainly corporately uh, and um, as a nation and internationally as well. And the question is, how in these moments do we find comfort? 
How do we find steadfastness? How do we find assurance at these times? So let's read our passage. I'm going to start at uh, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, start at verse 1. And it says this. Let's see what God wants to say to us this morning. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah, like us, lived at a time of uncertainty and difficulty. Uh, Here is a picture of Isaiah. Well, obviously, it's not actually Isaiah, uh, but it's an 18th century representation of what maybe Isaiah might have looked like. Uh, But Isaiah lived and ministered around 700 years uh, before Jesus. So that's just over 2,700 years ago uh, from now. Uh, He was a prophet, uh, which basically means that he heard from God. God spoke to him and then he delivered what God wanted to say uh, to people. So he was prophetic in that sense. He was a prophet. And he prophesied in the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. And Isaiah's time, sort of Israel and Judah particularly, had been having some good times. They'd had a powerful time. They'd fairly well off. Things were good. But it was a moment where things were starting to not look so good. The pressure was being put on. The people of God had begun to sort of put their hope in other things other than God, uh, turn away from him. They were turning to other nations for for their security and their hope. And right in this moment, um, suddenly this kingdom arises uh, called the kingdom of Assyria. And they basically begin to take over other countries. They begin to conquer other countries. uh, And they get closer and closer and closer. So, yeah, we've got the map, if you like maps. Uh, So we've sort of got uh, Judah down here. You've got Israel uh, and Judah. So those of you who know the kingdom split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, which sort of went off the the rails fairly quick. And then uh, the kingdom of Judah, which had Jerusalem in, which tried to stay true uh, to the ways of God. And Assyria basically conquered all of this area and they came right down and they um, took the northern kingdoms of Isaiah, of, of Israel, sorry, and they were knocking right on the door of Judah. Okay? And what we need to understand when we see this is that the potential of um, a foreign threat taking their country or um, declaring war was not only a physical sort of problem for them in the sense that uh, war is horrendous, it creates suffering and pain and famine and difficulty and all of those things. But the challenge is not only physical, it's also theological. And what do I mean by that? Is What I mean is here you have um, 
the sort of self-proclaimed people of God, the people who said, we, we are God's people. The, the claim is there is only one God. There isn't many gods. There isn't also lots of, there's one God. He is the maker of the entire cosmos, the entire universe. And he has chosen us as his special people to demonstrate what it's like to walk with God, basically, to the rest of the world. That's their claim. Can you see how it can be a problem if that is your claim when suddenly you're under threat of siege and being destroyed and things aren't looking good? What does that say about your claims about God? Who is this God? Is this God really that powerful? If what's happening, how come this nation is sort of successful and winning and everything's looking bright and for your nation, things aren't looking good? What does that say about your God? What does it say about you? What does it say about your claims? All of those kind of things. So it's a real problem, uh, not just sort of physically, but for the way they thought and the way they lived. And um, Isaiah was speaking into the nation at this time, speaking the words of God, trying to explain what was going on. And it was just over a hundred years after the ministry of Isaiah that uh, not the Assyrians, it was actually the Babylonians came and took the people of Judah into exile. So they were defeated in battle, they were conquered, uh, and many of them were dra dragged off as servants and slaves to Babylon. And that is a problem, isn't it? That is a problem for the people of God. And the book of Isaiah really speaks into this situation. It speaks into it. And what it does is it lets us know what is God doing in this? How is God at work at this time? How can you explain that this is happening and that is happening? Is God still good? Is God still powerful? What does God want to say? That is what the book of Isaiah is wrestling with and speaking out as, it, um, as we go through it. Now you'll be pleased to know uh, we're not gonna go through every chapter of Isaiah. If we were, then we'd be here till, well, it'll be a few years time. Uh, we did it as a staff team, didn't we? Lynn's smiling. We did it as a staff team, went through the whole of Isaiah. It took us, I think it was over two years in our sort of staff prayer time, which was great. Uh, but we're not gonna do that, don't worry. We're gonna um, pick some passages that we really feel speak into, um, into our life as a church family and what God is saying right now. But what is God like? What does he want to say, especially at a time of uncertainty? So let's look at the passage we've looked at today and see what God might want to say to you and to me and probably to uh, our nation as well at this time. Well, this passage firstly says that we find comfort in exile, in difficulty, uh, because there is forgiveness for sins. So these, it says here, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare, or some translations say hardship is ended, that her iniquity or her sin is pardoned. The NIV translates that as that her sin has been paid for. You see, exile, you know, this idea of uh, the people of God being taken from their land, uh, their land being ransacked to some degree or left to a bit of ruin and then being taken into uh, another nation and being made to be slaves, that's what exile is. Exile really is the result of sin. 
God had promised His people that if they worshipped Him, if they remained faithful to Him, and if they honoured Him in their ways, they would, you know, they could still mess up. That was fine. They could go and offer sacrifices, and God would deal with all that. But if they kept Him at the centre and they worshipped Him, then He would watch over them and protect them in the land that He had given them as their inheritance. But as we often do, they walked away from God. Uh, and just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they disobey and they turn away from the garden. The result of that is exile. They're taken out of the land. Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Uh, Judah, the people of Judah, the people of God are taken out of the land that he, have, he has given them. And I think this is still true today for us. That actually, um, Paul says, doesn't he, the wages of sin is death. If you like, that's a way of saying the result the outcome of sin, uh, the final end, the destination of sin and turning away from God is exile and death. And Israel uh, was in exile because they turned away from God. And it's important to say that, because um, I want to clarify that, that doesn't mean that our suffering is directly related to our personal sin. That's not what I'm saying. And I'll refer you to Tim Murray's whole church teaching on suffering. Has anyone listened to that? It's well worth a listen if you've listened to that because uh, he talks about this. Um, so Jesus makes it perfectly clear when the disciples ask him, whose sin uh, has, has made this man blind? Is it because of his sin or his father's sin? And Jesus says it's not because of any of that. It's actually for the glory of God. So we don't sort of, not all of our um, suffering is linked to our sin. Um, some of it is. If I punch someone in the face, after this service, when you come and give me, I don't know, that, it'd be a shock, wouldn't it? If I punch you in the face and I get taken and put in jail and I suffer in jail, then that's a direct result of the, sort of my suffering is a result, direct result of uh, my sin, if you like. But not all suffering works in that way. Uh, much of what we suffer is not our fault. There's injustice in the world. There's brokenness in this world. Uh, and many things bear down on us and cause us suffering. However, Sin is the reason that there is suffering in the world. Does that make sense? So our suffering is not always directly related to our sin, but sin is the reason that generally there is suffering in the world. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, brokenness, corruption, pain, death entered into a good created order. So not all our suffering is a result of our personal sin, but sin is the reason that there is um, suffering. But the good news is that he's being proclaimed even 700 years before Jesus. The good news is that whether our suffering is the result of our personal sin or not, there is forgiveness for sin. There is forgiveness. Sin is not the end of the road. And this was true as Isaiah prophesied to the people uh, in exile that their sin had been forgiven. The wayward ways of their forefathers and their foremothers had been forgiven. And now God was coming to them in comfort and saying, your sin, your iniquity, your wayward ways have been forgiven. And now I'm drawing you back to myself. And if this was true of the people of God in the Old Testament, how much more true is it of you and me today as we find ourselves in Christ who came to bring forgiveness? 
And Isaiah, when he spoke, he foresaw sort of 100 years before the exile uh, and 170 years before it would end. He foresaw the end. He said, this is not the end. Because they would have been asking that in exile. They would have been there thinking, well, this is it. It's over. The promises of God are finished. Nothing good will come from this. God's promise, he hasn't come through. Maybe he's not real. Maybe it doesn't, you know, he doesn't really care. He doesn't love us. And Isaiah, 100 years before that exile, prophesies and says, this hardship will come to an end. The judgment for sin would come to an end when forgiveness is poured out. And not only did Isaiah foresee uh, this for the exile, his prophetic word is looking forward, as he often does, to the day when sin in its ultimate sense would be dealt with through Jesus on the cross, when sin would be fully placed on Jesus and dealt with, and sin and death itself would be defeated. And it's so comforting when you know the end of the story, don't you think? Have you ever watched a film that you, you know the ending? You know, it might be um, you've read a book and then you're reading the film based on the book or maybe you're watching a film of a true life event and you already know what happens in the end. You watch the film and you see all this difficulty of the characters involved, the suffering of the characters involved, the pain, but you already know how things are going to work out and that it'll all be okay in the end, Yeah. You watch it and you can connect with those characters and understand their pain. But there's this overriding sense of, hey, in the end, it's all right. In the end, things turn out and it is okay. And I think this is how we need to live as Christians day to day. We enter into our suffering in the moment. Of course, we recognise the pain and the suffering that we go through, the difficulties that we have. But we know the end of the story. We already know how it all works out. It's already been sorted and it's already been told and we know of it. It's already been revealed. And that brings us great comfort, especially when you face serious difficulty and suffering, is you can anchor yourself in the reality that in the end, Jesus wins and all is sorted. The second thing that Isaiah says is he says this, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. What is a wilderness? You see, a wilderness in Isaiah's time, and for many centuries after actually, was uh, the place outside of the city or village or town that represented really, uh, well not just represented, it literally was at that time, uh, chaos and scarcity and fear. So if you like humans, um, and we sort of don't quite understand this because we live in a time when we've conquered most of the, the sort of world, the geography, if you like. But at that time, you know, what they would do is push back um, all of the elements of the wilderness and they would create settlements, you know, and they would create safety. And that might be a small village, might be then a town, and then it might become a city. And everything outside of that place was known as the wilderness. And the wilderness literally had animals that could kill you. So that's pretty scary. Uh, You couldn't find like food there. It was very scarce and very difficult. And so over time, really, the wilderness comes to represent this sense of chaos, disorder, scarcity, and therefore creates all this kind of fear. You don't want to go out there because it's not safe. You don't want to go out there because there's there's nothing to eat, uh, that kind of place. Nothing good can come from the wilderness. 
Nothing good can come. In fact, in the sense, it's an antithesis of good. All of the good things we can do are here in the city, but out there, nothing good can come from there. What possible good can come from chaos and scarcity and fear? Some of you might be thinking, what good can come from Nazareth? You know what I mean? What good can come from that place? And yet, Isaiah says, it's precisely in this place where God loves to turn up. In the place of chaos, in the place of scarcity, in the place of fear, that is where God likes to turn up. It says, prepare the way because God is about to show up. And I think in some ways, we live in a time of wilderness in our time at the moment. Now, I don't mean um, sort of materialistically. Uh, Of course, we're probably the most uh, well-off society that the world has ever seen in many ways. You know, we have more physically than um, more resources, more food for most people. Um, Certainly in the West, certainly in our country, for the majority of people, we are pretty um, sorted. But there is this sense of chaos, isn't there? There's this feeling of things could really fall apart pretty quickly. And there is definitely a sense of fear and scarcity and lack. Certainly when we look into the next few months, we think, how is this going to even work out? Great fear everywhere. What good can come from that? And I'm sure those in exile would have thought exactly that. What good can come from this? And maybe you think that today. What possible good can come out of the cost of living crisis? How can good come from that? It can only be bad. And hear me right, I'm not saying in any way that it's a good thing. I'm not saying that difficulty is good in that sense. It is not good for humans to suffer and struggle. But I want to say that it is precisely in these places that God loves to turn up. And God wants to speak into your wilderness, into our wilderness and says, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, in the desert places, in the places that you don't expect him to turn up, in the places where all you see is scarcity and lack and fear and doubt. In those places, prepare the way of the Lord. The fact is the exile did end. 70 years later, the prophecy that Isaiah had been speaking about comes true and um, the exile ends and God begins to work in his people in a different way. But 600 years later, there is the voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord because humanity's exile, the true exile, the full exile in the biggest sense was about to come to an end. The chaos and scarcity that had plagued the human race for thousands of years was about to end in the coming of Jesus Christ. So we can find comfort that it is precisely in the places of lack, precisely in the places of scarcity and fear where God wants to turn up. And finally, we find comfort That Isaiah says, all flesh will see the glory of God. Verse five says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I love that verse. It's like a, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Are you gonna contend with that? 
you're going to say, I'm not sure you got that right, God. I think you might be a bit off there. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's very authoritative. Love it. I think that we, if we're going to find comfort in our day, we need to learn to begin to trust God when he says something. Trust is potentially one of the most important things in the whole of the Bible. It's very linked, closely linked to faith. You know, Abraham trusted God, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The great heroes of faith were marked by their great faith and their trust in God that even when they didn't see the things that they had seen in God and God had promised them, they trusted him. They kept their trust in him. And what does God promise at the end of this passage? It says, all flesh shall see the glory of the Lord. It will be revealed and all flesh will see it. You see, when the exile came to an end, the people of God at the time saw the glory of God. They saw that God was doing something and they saw something of his glory. But it was somewhat short-lived because in a sense, the real promises and that sense of what God wanted to do wasn't fully fulfilled when they came out of exile. It wasn't too long before they were conquered again. And then we know that at the time of Jesus, they were actually occupied by the Romans. So the promises of a land that was fully and wholly given to God and the ways of God and walking with God didn't seem to happen in that way. Some saw the glory of God. When Jesus came, many more saw the glory of God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father. Many saw the glory of God in Christ. And since then, many more have seen the glory of God in Christ. And today, more and more people are seeing the glory of, of God in Jesus Christ. However, the promise is that all flesh, all flesh will see the glory of God that means, I interpret that to mean everyone, everywhere of all time. It's comforting, isn't it, to know the end of the story. In the end, everyone will see his glory. And uh, Isaiah is written in a, a sort of genre that's called visionary literature, if you like. It's sort of like, what that means is it's prophetic. There's a sense of a, of a looking forward and, and uh, prophesying things to come. But not only that, it's also a, a revealing. It reveals the truth that we don't see because we only see in a human way. It reveals what's actually happening behind the scenes uh, in the heavenlies, if you like. And it's a sort of strange, we don't have a lot of this way of writing today in, in our way. So it can be strange when we come. If you come to read Isaiah in your... Um, prayer times, your, your quiet times or whatever, you're going to have moments where you think, this is the best thing I've ever read. And then you're going to have other moments where you think, what is going on here? You know, what does God's judgment on the Moabites have to do with how I follow Jesus today? It's one of those books. And it's a little bit like um, the book of Revelation, I think. I think they're written, I think Revelation is written in a similar way to Isaiah. You know, at the start of Isaiah, we have 
Um, Isaiah sees the Lord, he has a vision and then he reveals a load of things and at the start of Revelation, John has a vision and he reveals a load of things and it uses this strange language and images and pictures and some of it is to do with the time that they're in and some of it's to do with the future and some of it's to do with the world behind the world that we see uh, day to day. It's a, a great um, roller coaster ride of a read really. Um, and sometimes these things have been used um, to sort of scare us and as fear, um, particularly in Revelation, I think. I remember my New Testament lecturer just last year talked about the book of Revelation. He said, if you read the book of Revelation, which is a book of judgment and terrible things uh, happening, but if you read the book um, as a Christian and you're not encouraged, then you're not reading it properly. And that really impacted me and surprised me because Yes, revelation is a warning. Of course, it is a warning. Isaiah is a warning. It's a drawing back to God. Come back to God. Um, you know, don't compromise. Follow God. That is what those books are sort of saying. But it's also an encouragement. Both of these books try and help us see what is the reality behind the things that we're seeing in our world. We watch the news we talk to people, we try and interpret what's going on, but we don't see from God's point of view what is actually happening here. And these books reveal that. We look at a world of wars and leaders and injustice and poverty and struggle. And if yes, of course, those things are real, but there is greater truths behind those things. God has something to say in the midst of those things. And again, we know the end of the story. Because the powers that are now, that think they are the powers, actually, in the end, all flesh, all flesh will see the glory of God. This brings us great comfort, I think, and confidence in the midst of struggle. When we're struggling, when we're suffering, in the end, God will come through. And I think we can relax because of that. We can be filled with courage and steadfastness. So, the kids are coming down, which is great. I just want to finish with one scripture from Paul. And then I think, I don't know, Liz is facilitating. She'll make a decision. I think we might go into a time of prayer. Uh, we'll see. We'll get the band back up. We'll see what happens. But Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, us having comfort isn't just for us. There's a missional aspect to this, that actually we as a church, and we're not there yet, but we'll get there, are to be filled with such great comfort in God that we become a comfort to those outside of the church, to those that don't understand the things that we talk about. And I think it's interesting that the queen, as we've referenced, put so much stock in her faith and talked about it very openly, certainly in the last few years anyway. And I don't know her personal faith. I've never met the queen, although she's come to Dudley. 
I don't know where she was at, but uh, I do know that she seems to have impacted a number of people that struggle with comfort, that struggle with confidence because of her confidence and her faith and her assurance. And I think that's a good model for us. Why don't the band come back up? That'll be really good and we'll begin to close. So I wonder whether you need to receive the comfort of God today. And um, if so, then we want to pray for you. And as I was praying, I just really feel that there might be those amongst us that need to know that their sin is forgiven. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you are totally new to this. And actually, you've never even thought that the things that you've done the life, that that sort of waywardness from God, from your creator, has had any impact on your life. But maybe this morning, that sort of, you're thinking, oh, I think I need my sin to be forgiven. Then I wanna, we would love to pray with you if that is you. Um, and what we'll do in a moment is, I think as the guys lead us in a song, we'll just invite you to come out the front by the cross down here on my left. And we'll just pray with you and stand with you. There's no pressure but I think it's a good thing to do. Maybe you need to receive the forgiveness of God. Maybe you're a Christian and you just need that assurance of your forgiveness in God. Maybe some of us need prayer, uh, need comfort in our wilderness. We find ourselves in a place of chaos and scarcity and fear, anxiety maybe. And we need to know that God wants to turn up in that place. We need to hear God in that place. Again, I'd invite you to come out the front and we'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you need a reassurance and guarantee that God, in the end, puts all things right and that he holds onto the story. The story is in his hands, that your life is in his hands. Then we'd love to pray for you as well. So if you're able and willing, why don't you stand? And uh, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And in this moment, if you want someone to pray with you, I just want to encourage you to make your way down the front down here. Um, Maybe as well, just picking up on um, what Phil shared. Maybe if you feel disconnected, that sense of disconnection from God, then we'd love to pray for you as well. Um, Come down the front and we'll pray for you. There's no shame in that. Uh, We all have those sort of moments and times. So Father God, we just give this to you. We invite you in this place. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Would you meet with us, Lord, as we turn to you? Would you wrap your loving arms around us that we would receive the comfort from the comforter that we might be transformed that we may then go and comfort others in their affliction and difficulty in Jesus name we pray Amen Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amoka Christian Centre For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, 
www.amicalchristiancenter.org.uk. Bye.